Hello and very warm welcome to Reactive's Health Podcast, where we dive into EU health policy and bring you the latest health news from Europe every week. I'm Gedra Pesetskita, and in this episode we will be talking about tuberculosis. As some of you might be aware of, World Tuberculosis Day was on last Friday, 24th March, meant to raise awareness of this bacterial infection. Marking the day, WHO Europe in their press release called the fight against tuberculosis unfinished business, as despite having the needed tools, European region remains a long way from meeting its anti-tuberculosis strategy targets of reducing tuberculosis incidence by 80% and the deaths by 90% before 2030. One of the countries responsible for most of the cases in the region is Ukraine. Not only does it have the fourth highest tuberculosis incidence in the WHO European region, but it also has the fifth highest number of confirmed cases of extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis in the world. While in the last years Ukraine was showing the best practice in Eastern Europe with tuberculosis incidence falling by almost half in the past 15 years, the huge advancements were confronted by Russia's invasion. Therefore, today I'm talking with two Ukrainians, Andrei Klepikov, Executive Director of Alliance for Public Health in Ukraine, and Anton Basenko, Ukrainian civil society representative and tuberculosis survivor, about how Ukraine is fighting the war not only against Russia's invasion, but also against tuberculosis. I'm talking with Anton Basenko in the European Parliament just before the World Tuberculosis Day. Anton moved to Brussels before the war to work at European AIDS Treatment Group. As he says, his personal experience brought him where he is now. Anton, thank you very much for having the time to speak with me about this very important topic. I would like to highlight that your shirt looks great and you mentioned that you chose to wear them today for a reason. Yeah, so it's it's our Ukrainian national short uh, called Vishivanka, uh, Vishivanka from the sewing like Vishivats to sew. So it's uh, um, it's not just not just you know national short. It's it's really very spiritual symbol for Ukrainian. It's our symbol of dignity, symbol of freedom, symbol of fight for freedom because Ukraine is a nation. Historically, we're always fighting, we're always forced to fight and, and mostly it was, you know, Russian, but uh, uh, on, on the different stages. So yes, I think it's very symbolic in, in, in when we're uh, talking about a fight with diseases and a fight to end tuberculosis, that's also a certain message from us as Ukrainians. And as I understand for you, it was also a personal fight. Could you please share your personal story? Briefly, um, um, I was born in the 1980. It was still Soviet Union times in the family of public servants. And uh, I'm, I'm Kievite, so I'm from Kiev originally. Teenager uh, life, you know, I started experimenting with uh, uh, drugs. It was mid-90s, very, very specific time, very, very critical time, very challenging time for many families and, and, and uh, for, for people in Ukraine because it's just the first years of independence, but post-Soviet, I mean, independence. And of course, it was really, challenging and like economically financially uh, families and parents were trying to earn money so they can they could not really pay uh, maybe more attention or needed attention to children we as the children were on the streets so you know streets street rules streets interests experiments and things like that so and 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 also the fact that um, the 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 iron curtain dropped and and borders opened and of course new substances uh, not just uh, some uh, typical things which is like for instance 
instance, hemp or poppies, which is a, uh, it's a typical plant for Ukraine. We, we, we know it, uh, of course, but uh, many things like cocaine, amphetamine, ecstasy, you know, heroin started to, to be imported in our country. And of course, we, the teenagers, without any, you know, proper information, understanding, started to, to use it. And of course, it's turned, in my case, it turned to a, a drug dependence and to problematic use. So it's uh, after number of years of active using, injecting using, uh, of course, in um, in harm reduction programs on the rapid test found out uh, that I have uh, uh, HIV, uh, hepatitis C, and and then while I was on the way to to my uh, HIV therapy uh, f uh, on the Mantu probe, I was the, uh, there was a suspicion on on TB. So there was a uh, it was not clear whether I'm whether it's 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 I'm already you know it's so I need a treatment as a disease or just a prevention b before I start a, a, a antiretroviral therapy, but uh, that was my contact with all this physiatric <laughs> TB system not only in the AIDS center but. But uh, of course, you are referred to um, other centers, and uh, unfortunately, because of course, being a, a drug user, and of course, number of my friends also with HIV or without HIV, mostly with HIV, they also but without tr treatment, proper treatment at that time, as opportunistic infection, they faced at some point with tuberculosis. Unfortunately, a number of people uh, passed away, uh, you know, or, or even those who started treatment, but it was very old and very, uh, very difficult treatment. They had deafness, they had the side, side effects of that old fashioned treatment and, um, and, and still for some of them, it, it didn't help. So, yeah, um, so that's, that's my connection. So, I mean, it's not just my, my personal case, but also I'm in mean, case of my uh, um, uh, friends, yeah. So your personal experience led you to work in the field of HIV and tuberculosis, firstly in Ukraine and for the last year here in Brussels. You told me that since the war started, you get calls from Ukrainians. And I really wonder what about those who are coming from Ukraine to Europe now since the war started? Can they access uh, diagnostics and treatments and actually have a timely access to those? And also, as you mentioned, there's a stigma that we have to fight. So how harmful is stigma here in this case? And why does it exist? When the war uh, started, people from Ukraine, uh, you know, when you're coming from from country, which is historically uh, now, of course, it's changing, but still historically, because of this post-Soviet heritage, this repressive drug policies for people who use drugs, and this stigma and discrimination uh, and this uh, attitude to people with uh, specific diseases or people who use drugs or sex workers or LGBT community as to some uh, let's say not normal people and this attitude among common people this attitude especially among law enforcers policemen i mean or or medical personnel again the the, 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 the people the profession whose whose role and whose mission to 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 be the first helper supporter ally of the patient of of the of the people but in fact uh, we, for instance in ukraine um, we, we we know that sometimes this um, they are the first doing this stigma, I mean, behaving with the stigma and discrimination uh, attitude. And uh, that is why people from this, you know, framework, when they started to came uh, to come to uh, um, EU member states, uh, again, legally, legally, uh, due to EU temporary protection uh, law for Ukrainians, people were, so first of all, language barrier, especially on the first wave of this uh, migration. 
when there was no organized, uh, centrally organized or somehow organized in interpretation. And uh, this fact that people were coming from this stigmatized, criminalized re reality, they were so scared, you know, to disclose their status and to, to, to say clearly on the first registration in these special centers uh, where Ukrainian uh, uh, refugees are registered. So it's, it's, it's exactly that uh, place where you should say, okay, I have, uh, I'm a person living in the HIV or I'm a person who uses drugs, I need specific treatment, so please take it into consideration. They were completely silent. First of all, even those maybe who were ready to say they cannot because, you know, for instance, it's a language barrier, but mostly, I think 99.9%, they were completely silent. What is the reason why people are silent about this? Because they were sure, as they told me, that once they say it, they will be refused, they will be saying, no, bye, go outside, go back to Ukraine, uh, you are not allowed to, to, to come, no, no. So that's, that's, you know, this paradigm of thinking, when many years you're living under this, you know, stigma, discrimination, criminalization, uh, this fr framework, and you're coming to countries where it's not, for instance, at least not the case on the same level, we know that stigma discrimination is still, is still uh, happening. And in fact, then finally, they were accommodated in, uh, very uh, small towns, uh, villages far, far away from access to um, healthcare facilities with this specific treatment. And when you need to go on the daily basis, at least for some first time, like uh, two or three trains or trains and bus just to go from this village to some, I don't know, somewhere in deep, deep in the Bavaria, for instance, to go to Munich to, to receive the substitution therapy. Thank you very much, Anton, for all your work and sharing about your personal experiences and also experiences of those coming to the EU since the Russia's full-scale invasion. Now about those tuberculosis patients in Ukraine, we're talking with Andrei Klepikov, Executive Director Alliance for Public Health in Europe. Andrei, you mentioned that you're leaving Brussels today. I wonder, once you're back to Ukraine, how does your work look like and how was it influenced by the war? When the war started, despite all preparations and even risk management measures, uh, it still was a shock for uh, nearly everyone. So uh, during the first uh, months or even several months, it was so difficult because so many people, uh, civilians, uh, millions of civilians were moved, forced to move out of their homes. It's hardly to imagine, so it's the largest move in Europe uh, with actually about 15 million people moved out of their homes. Uh, about 7 million moved within the country and 8 million moved as war refugees to other countries. And of course, it's impacted everything, including attitude to own health. When uh, there is uh, life-threatening you know, risks, uh, to be alive or die from Russian missile attacks. Nobody thinks about uh, TB treatment. People are uh, deprioritized on health uh, due to more life-threatening uh, situations. So it was a huge uh, effort to rebuild this attitude, to continue treatments for those who interrupted this, uh, or to provide further support with medications, because sometimes people, even those who had medications on hand, 
they needed to live in a, you know 10 15 minutes with a backpack and sometimes people forgot essential things so they took the documents and some cash but forgot and sweater or some other things but forgot their medications and they had nothing to come back because uh, some ma- many homes were destroyed that's what we talk the concept of patient centered approach we realize it uh, in reality addressing many humanitarian needs as well evacuation uh, providing food or warm clothes or uh, helping with some uh, mental health issues and depression uh, renewing of the documents so the whole range of things so our work uh, increased in times actually addressing much wider range of needs than than we use before in the presentation that you were giving just an hour ago, you mentioned that despite the war, the tuberculosis diagnostics and treatments are continuing and is even increasing now. How did you manage to achieve that? We managed to rebuild or even increase uh, identific- identification of new cases. Our strategy is to do outreach, to actively seek people at risk and to do TB screening firstly and more substantial diagnostics and of course in case of uh, uh, positive results to connect with treatment. The problem is that uh, the most vulnerable people for TB infection are from marginalized groups, homeless, people who use drugs, representative of some minority group like Roma. So many of them are socially disintegrated. And uh, in the time of the war, People who were vulnerable before the war, their vulnerability increased in times. So what we do, uh, we trying to uh, reach uh, internally displaced people, for example, who moved mostly towards Western Ukraine. And in that areas, TB case uh, finding increased very substantially in two, three times in certain region and in certain locations even over 10 times. But for this, we need, of course, more efforts. We need to restructure our work because, well, just to imagine increasing 10 times, it's very significant. Well, could you increase the transport system is dealing with 10 times more passengers? Yeah, it's it will be collapse. Yeah. So in TB response, we also needed to reorganize our work very quickly uh, in, in order to serve uh, substantially higher needs. And uh, in some areas, of course, uh, more heavily affected by the war, there were losses among patients and medical workers. So it was a hard, uh, hard time for, for many. And despite the fact what was the location, uh, everybody needed this or that kind of services. It's like with mental health. I think everybody in Ukraine needs mental health support. It's just a question to smaller logic. I'm wondering what's the damage done to healthcare units, especially when it comes to tuberculosis facilities? Because unfortunately, it's no secret that hospitals can and do become Russian targets. 
that's so terrible that really uh, civilian inf- infrastructure, including hospitals, became a target for uh, Russians. For uh, uh, over uh, 1,300 medical facilities were damaged or destroyed, including TB facilities in uh, nine regions, which is about. Uh, more than one one third, uh, nearly half of the regions were affected. For us, it was important to ensure that when hospitals are destroyed, it doesn't uh, necessarily mean that services are stopped. So actually, civil society organization like Alliance and our partners stepped in also with uh, mobile outreach go into the areas where no hospitals or no medical facilities left, uh, offering some screening and diagnostics there. So it was very important to change the mode of uh, operations with doing more mobile services and also for some more digital. Uh, people in Ukraine still relying very much on the news, on the updates uh, from Telegram channels, and nearly everyone using smartphones in terms of getting information out or maintaining uh, contact with patients through video observed treatment. Uh, I think Ukraine number one among all Eastern European and Central Asian countries for doing this. So using technology is also important. But of course, at the same time, we need to remember that there are people not using smartphones or even any phones. Uh, So we need to have a tailored approach uh, for everyone, not excluding everyone, which we do. Thank you so much, Andrei, for having time to talk with me today. Would you like to send a message um, for our listeners as tomorrow is World Tuberculosis Day? Russian war in Ukraine taught us to take things more seriously than before the war. So in regard to TB, we are hearing these promises not for a long time, not for one year. Let's end TB, let's stop TB. But it's time really to rethink it and to take it more seriously than it was taken before. Means uh, to invest more resources, to do more appropriate things, because TB is not just a medical issue. It has human right dimension. We need to invest more in community and civil society, be gender tailored. So do real things which uh, will help to end TB. That's my message. And this is the plan we are going to implement. Thank you so much, Andrea, and good luck with all the work that you're doing. And for our listeners, a friendly reminder that if you are enjoying listening to your Active's podcast, you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, the same weekday as our podcast. And we will try to make sure and to do our best to keep you updated with the main EU health news. And also don't forget to check other Euractiv's podcasts such as AgriFood Brief, Tech Brief and Beyond the Byline. An important note that you can listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms. And that will be all from us today. Thank you so much for listening. We also want to hear from you. So if you have something to say, don't hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is podcast at or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. 
This episode was brought to you thanks to our multimedia team, so special thanks to them and one and only Jonas Hellebuck. Stay healthy and until next Wednesday.